blue wire. Blake Griffin has been traded to the Detroit Pistons. Blake Griffin, turn, drive, lays it up, lays it in. Reggie Bullock, got it. Turns, fires, he fills it up. Hello, everyone. This is Pistons versus Everybody. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. This is the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Joining me is one of the hosts of the Charlotte Hornets podcast, Buzzbeat on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, Richie Randall. Richie, how are you doing? Doing good, man. Uh, Gearing up for Thanksgiving. Uh, About to have two Thanksgiving dinners tomorrow because I go over to my my wife's side first and then go over to my side of the family. Uh, How's everything going with you? Everything's good. Uh, we don't go. I actually live in North Carolina, so we Whoa. don't go. Yeah, we don't go back for Thanksgiving. We go back for Christmas. Gotcha. So tomorrow we're gonna go see Knives Out at Alamo Draft House, and that's Thanksgiving. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I didn't realize you lived in North Carolina. Yeah, I've uh, been here about four years now, and so I get the uh, I get the Eric Collins experience when the uh, Pistons play the Hornets. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a joy to listen to. He gets uh, a little bit too excited at times, but. Uh, at least it makes it interesting to listen to. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there was reason to be excited tonight, right? The uh, the Hornets pulled out a close one, 102-101 over the Pistons. Uh, Derrick Rose fails in the clutch against Charlotte uh, one more time. Uh, Devontae Graham, I think, had, what, 15 assists? Um, I Like, I have some stuff about him. I don't really want to talk about this game, but I, I suppose we can if, if you want to. Um, <laughs> so what a... Devontae has been like really good to start this season. What what have you seen that's been like the major improvements from his side? Because last year he was a guy who was like going going up and forth between Greensboro and here, right? Right, exactly. That was the big thing last year. It felt like you know one day he was in Greensboro, one day he was in Charlotte, and that that transaction would happen uh, pretty much on a uh, you know a day to day basis. And I think the biggest thing that we saw last season that we thought would translate over to this season was just his, it feels like he was a veteran, even though that he was a rookie last year. Uh, He operated the offense like a veteran point guard. uh, And he was very steady uh, in the decisions that he made. Uh, His assist to turnover ratio was really, really good last year. So we knew that him operating out of the point guard position, uh, running that point guard position, distributing the ball was going to be something that translated. The biggest thing that he struggled with last season uh, was his three-point shot, and uh, my co-host and I were debating uh, the biggest thing that he needed to work on over the offseason had to be that three-point shot because teams could just go under every single screen. Uh, but, you know, what he showed at Kansas, uh, clearly he had that in him, his three-point shot, and he's done a whole lot better uh, this season. He's actually one of the better, like just by some of the stats, better pull-up three-point shooting uh players in the league this year uh, and that makes them a whole lot more lethal coming up that pick and roll so now he has the ability to shoot the ball out of the pick and roll as well as passing and we saw that tonight uh, with his 15 assists some of his assists man just uh, wrap around bounce passes uh, no look lobs uh, for alley-oops uh, he finds players that you just you know wouldn't think a normal second year player would find out of the offense yeah I think a lot of that's probably due to what he spent four years in college. It helps to be a more uh, developed prospect in, in that regard, definitely. But um, yeah, his his vision is just something that I even remember, like when because I, I scouted him 
or not like individually, but like I looked at him as a guy the Pistons could draft, and okay. I was always I came away pretty impressed with with uh, with what he was doing. But the other thing is that like so you've got him, and he's improved a lot, and he's uh, now he's a threat. He looks like a starting level NBA guard. But you also spent like fifty eight million on this other guy during the offseason. <laughs> and and that pairing is not. Uh, gone particularly well the two-man uh pairing of terry rogier and Devonte graham has a negative 7.9 net rating and a defensive rating over uh, 115 uh so like what, what's the future of that duo because they're, they're starting together now yeah it's definitely an awkward situation right i mean you have someone that comes in on a sign and trade with kimball walker uh, and terry rogier and i was never very fond of terry rogier's game uh, never being able to shoot over 40% in his career just is something that's just mind-blowing to me. You know, the athlete that he is, you think that he would be able to score somewhere on the court uh, to get that field goal percentage over 40%. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely think he's overpaid. Um, I personally think, uh, you know, th- those statistics that you just kind of pointed out uh, are not good uh, when he's paired with Devontae Graham, but he's even worse with Devontae Graham off the court. And I, I think – Rozier is more of a two guard or a player that excels better off ball. And I think with Devontae Graham starting, I, this all started uh, when, when Bacon got injured and they experimented with both of these guys playing together in the starting lineup. Um, I think with Devontae Graham starting and having Terry Rozier off ball more, uh, that puts him in better positions to succeed. Uh, he's done very well in the catch and shoot aspect, uh, Rozier that is. Uh, but he just doesn't strike me as a guy uh, that has too much of a future with this Hornets team. Um, you know, with him, with the ball in his hands, it seems like he doesn't really have a plan sometimes. He just kind of weaves in and out of traffic. Uh, and, uh, you know, even tonight against the uh, Detroit Pistons, he really didn't have that great of a game. Like, there's nothing that really stood out to me other than that uh, backcourt pickpocket steal of uh, Andre Drummond. So, yeah, it's definitely an awkward situation. Uh, the pairing, like you said, may not look great on paper, uh, but I do like Rozier playing off ball a whole lot more than the, uh, the point guard position. Yeah, that was the, that, uh, that play in particular was, I think the duality of both players. You had uh, an out of control Rozier drive directly <laughs> into Drummond's chest for, for the miss. And then, you know, Drummond turns it over while Rozier is just like, Oh, Hey, like I can pick the pocket of a guy who's seven feet tall and, and slowed down the offense and got the, uh, Got a three after that. Yeah, that was the mature part about Rozier there. Like, I I fully expected him to get that steal and try to go right back at Drummond. Uh, But uh, he did slow it down, and he actually got the ball back and and made a catch-and-shoot three, like I said. So um, it benefited him to, you know, take that that slow-it-down a little bit approach there. No, definitely. But he was still still the only starter for the Hornets with a uh, negative plus-minus on the night. Yeah, nice, nice. That's typical. That fits. That scans. Yep. Uh, but the guy with the highest plus minus was the lottery pick, PJ Washington. Um, he had real trouble with fouls in the first half, and then came back to uh, just really anchor a a small ball lineup that I think I've seen like flashes from from Charlotte, but uh, that like really pulled uh, Charlotte ahead uh, late in the third quarter. Um, is that something that they've gone to often, or is that something that? like really plays to his skill set. I don't really remember the scout of him being like, he can play some small ball five. I, I think that's definitely in his game. Uh, like you said, in this game, he got into foul trouble uh, real early in the game. I thought Borrego should have yanked him after that second foul. Uh, a couple of them were iffy. And even James Borrego 
um, you know, did a coach's cha- challenge. Yeah, he challenged the third first one. First off, what do you think of the coach's challenge? First off, like, you know, when you challenge a call and you, even if you get it correct, you don't get another one. Like, is, is that kind of weird to you? No, I like the fact that it, you know, like no matter what you only get, there's only going to be two possible ones right. in, in the course of a game. I think it slows the game down um, a little bit too much for my liking. When you combine that with all the reviews they usually do under two minutes anyway, mm-hmm. you get more than enough uh, chances, I think, to get the call right. And I, I don't know what the percentage of like overturned calls have been, right. but uh, I, I can't imagine it's been that high. And so I'm, I'm not a huge proponent of it, personally. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big proponent of i guess reviews in general but the fact that they lose the review even if you get it right just seems odd to me but like you said if you keep on reviewing and keeping getting getting it right uh it would definitely slow the game down but back to your original question of pj washington playing that small ball small ball five um i think what's really benefited him this year uh, his ability to shoot the three ball uh and we saw that from his freshman year to his sophomore year in kentucky where he went from like a 24 percent shooter to a 40 percent shooter uh, in just one year and coming back for that sophomore season uh, so he's been able to not only use that three-point uh, you know shot to his advantage but he's also had the ability to work out of the post and the Hornets did pick on uh, Kennard. Yeah, Kennard, yeah, yeah for yeah. whatever reason he was uh, matched up on PJ Washington a couple times in the third quarter uh, but then they, they kind of changed that uh, towards the end of the third quarter but uh, yeah I, I think that's something that Borrego is always experimenting with small ball lineups uh, and PJ Washington to me uh, can not only defend the five, uh, he definitely can stretch out the opponent's five to the three point line. Yeah, it was, it's, it was really, that just shows the difference in like size and length among the two starting lineups, uh, especially because the way Borrego appears to be using uh, bridges in Washington, especially in the starting lineup, is just like interchangeable wings. And so they're able to attack, attack the small Pistons front court, that's basically like three shooting guards, if, if we're being honest. And so it made a lot of sense as to why like PJ was getting those uh, like mid post opportunities against Luke. I think that's even something they did in the the first matchup, if I remember correctly. And uh, it was also noticeable that PJ like had the ability to like stay in front of Luke to kind of corral him mm-hmm. and and limit his shot opportunities. Um, yeah, PJ has been really impressive to me. You know, forty six percent from three. Um, I know that that pick was kind of like poo-pooed when it was made, but, uh, you know, you seem pretty happy with him. Yeah, it definitely was a boring pick. Like, I think a lot of Hornets fans was like, they were like, you know, you know, PJ Washington does a lot of little things, right? Or, you know, good, but not one thing very special. And I think that's probably why a lot of people were just kind of ho-hum about the pick. Uh, but, you know, I, I think a lot of people were wanting this like home run swing because we knew that we were losing Kimball Walker uh, and we we're going to be in this rebuilding mode that they wanted this home run swing but you know if that didn't work out then then you put yourself even farther back so I, I think drafting a player like pj washington that can come in as a rookie and at least be a good defender uh, at least you got that going for you and now that the, the three-point shot has turned out to be good uh, it's just an added bonus and, and like you mentioned he's very interchangeable with uh, miles bridges I, I think there's probably more concerns you know, right now over Miles Bridges, and then then there is the uh, the rookie Washington there. So I, I did want to get to the to the rebuild to like the philosophical question because you know the the Pistons and the Hornets have both kind of spent the last five years like chasing the eight seed, if we're being <laughs> honest. And and after after you know after Kemba left, the the Hornets decided to go with the rebuild. You know, despite 
giving Terry Rozier $58 million or whatever. We can kind of look past that. But, uh, you know, for all we know, the Pistons could be in a very similar position next year. You know, Andre Drummond has talked very openly about his desire to be a free agent. Um, they could they could lose him for nothing. Um, if that happens, I think the team would be compelled to, to trade Blake Griffin because I don't think they could put uh, a good enough team uh, surrounding him. And at that point, you know, the Pistons are rebuilding. That is something that I think the – that. Uh, a not insignificant amount of Pistons fans are like looking forward to the rebuild. So like as a team who, as a fan and an analyst of a team who was kind of like in a position the Pistons are in now and is like chosen to go in the rebuild direction. I just, I just want to know like, how, how is it going for you? How's the rebuild experience? To be honest, I'm enjoying this season a whole lot more than maybe you would think just based off of the, uh, the record that we have and, and knowing the struggles that we're going to, you know, come across this season. I think when we were pushing for that eight spot, that ninth spot, and as you mentioned, the Hornets and the Pistons are kind of always hovering around that spot, which, you know, most people know is is probably not the best place to be as an NBA franchise because you're not good enough to make it, uh, you know, far in the playoffs, but not good enough to get a high, high pick uh, in the draft. And that seems where the Hornets always hover around is that, you know, nine, 10, 11, spot when it comes to the draft so it feels good to know even though like you said we just picked up Rozier that we've kind of turned the corner here and we're starting this rebuild we have some pieces in place with uh, Devontae Graham PJ Washington Uh, you could argue Miles Bridges uh, has been promising his rookie year but a little bit of a struggle this season I think I, I feel a whole lot better about the direction of the franchise or just the possibility of where this team can go moving forward. And James Borrego was brought in to be a player development coach. And last season, he really couldn't impart his philosophy on the team because you had Kimball Walker, who was strictly just a, you know, a pick and roll player and all the offense had to be run through him. And now we're seeing this season with the Charlotte Hornets, it seems like a whole lot more uh, you know, a flowy offense, more flexibility, more people are getting involved, uh, and he's trying to develop the young players. So if I was a Pistons fan, uh, I would not be upset if you started to hear rumblings of Blake Griffin uh, maybe getting traded or in trade rumors, because I think right now the Pistons, I mean, what's the highest that you guys could get? Like the seven or eight spot this this year? Like it's not looking too pretty for you guys. Um, so I think the alternative is what we're going through right now. Yes, there may be a year or two in which the Hornets are going to struggle, uh, but the cap book starts to open up for the Hornets in a couple of years. Actually, this summer, it opens up a lot, uh, and it's going to give them a whole lot more flexibility moving forward, um, even though the struggles are going to occur this season. No, I I totally understand that perspective. Um, And from the Pistons' perspective, it's not like they're laden with a bunch of expensive veterans while they're chasing this eighth spot either. If they they wanted to flip the switch and go to the young guys, they have a lot of young guys uh, to to go with. Um, A lot of guys they've picked up in the last three or so drafts, uh, including Luke Kennard. But uh, at the same time, the it's 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 always a question of ownership, right? Um, ownership in, in Charlotte has always just kind of seemed like, uh, not willing to pay the luxury tax and not, you know, lowballing Kemba and, uh, being willing to not, not necessarily, uh, willing to sacrifice like gate receipt or like audience attendance for, for the rebuild and being kind of worried about what that would mean for basketball in Charlotte and, and in Detroit, uh, ownership is like openly said, like, I, you know, we don't like tanking. We don't, I don't believe in tanking. I don't, uh, 
believe in uh, in that. And, you know, they just had the big move to the downtown arena. Obviously, they wanted, I think, a little bit more success to to fill that arena to, to get more fans. The fan base has been kind of bifurcated by the move just because I don't know if you've ever been to Michigan, but the uh, the Palace and the, and the uh, Little Caesars Arena, the new arena, are like 45-minute 40, drive apart from each other. And so it's like two different like regions of, of people that can actually like be willing to attend those games has wow. changed. Yeah. And so it's, it's been really interesting to see uh, the Hornets path this year as, you know, something that, you know, might be my future and it doesn't necessarily look like a dark one. No, I wouldn't say so. And uh, it just seems like there's a lot of similarities between the Hornets and the Pistons and kind of how their paths are going. Um, you know, ownership, like you mentioned, have been so hell bent on wanting to make the playoffs and push for the playoffs, which is fine. But uh, if you're only attaining the seven or eight seed, uh, there's just not much going for you. And it's funny, uh, my co-host and I, you know, before last season, even two seasons prior, we were big proponents of, of trading Kimba. And uh, because we knew this day was coming in the off season to where we weren't going to get him for anything. I know that Mitch Kupchak and, and Michael Jordan can say, oh, well, we got Terry Rozier for him in that sign-and-trade. But really, they just did that to make it seem like we didn't get Kimba for nothing. Um, so I felt like that could have pushed our, I guess, quote-unquote, rebuild a little bit quicker if we had mm-hmm. traded Kimba two years prior. And I guess the argument last season a lot of people made is, well, the, the All-Star game was in Charlotte, so let's not trade Kimba because we want him starting – in Charlotte, in a Hornets uniform, which I thought that kind of argument was a little weird, uh, but I understood it. Yeah, a little, little short-sighted. Do you, do you feel like the rebuild is in a good place under a Mitch Kupchak? Because that's, I think that's another concern that a lot of Pistons fans, ha- Pistons fans have, is that like if they were to go a rebuild, it'd be you know, Ed Stefanski in charge, and there's not necessarily a ton of faith in that guy. Well, I, I guess I don't know how many rebuilds Mitch has been a part of. Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably not many with the Lakers. But, you know, I think he's drafted well. I mean, you know, it's only been two seasons. You know, Miles Bridges, Devontae Graham, uh, P.J. Washington, three of those players, and even Cody Martin this year has shown some flashes that he's been something as a rookie. Uh, it's more of like a wait-and-see approach with Mitch Kupchak because always in the back of our mind as Hornets fans – we always know that Michael Jordan is in that front office and has a hand in, in some of the transactions that are being made. Uh, but maybe maybe he'll take a back seat to Mitch Kupchak, who has a little bit more experience than maybe a Rich Cho, uh, the previous GM. So it's, it's more of a wait-and-see approach, but I do think that the drafting so far has been good, uh, and I think they hired a great coach in James Borrego in terms of what they're going for moving forward. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I did want to ask you about Miles Bridges. You kind of uh, you mentioned twice that Bridges has struggled <laughs> a little bit in his sophomore year, and we never got back around to it. So let's circle back to that. You know, I'm I'm a Michigan State grad, and so I was uh, pleased, like really pleased, to uh, watch Miles for two years in college. Um, it it surprises me a little that he hasn't gotten off to a better start in the NBA. What, what's been happening? So for for his rookie season, um, I, I think he benefited obviously, as anyone would, playing with Kimball Walker. He's a player that is not going to be your primary scorer and probably not your secondary scorer. He's going to be your third option. 
And so playing off of Kimball Walker, his rookie year, he was able to get a lot of open, you know, driving lanes off of a bent defense uh, where the ball swung around and, and the, the defense is all focused on Kimball Walker. He gets it on the weak side and drives it in for a dunk. Um, his three-point shot last season uh, was iffy at best. I will say that he did or he has improved, especially his above-the-break three this year. I guess his corner three his rookie season was not was not that bad. But uh, I think the biggest issue that I'm seeing with Miles Bridges is not only the fact that he's not a primary um, you know, score, and it's tougher to, to score when you're a primary option on this team, and you're going to see the ball a whole lot more versus last season. But the biggest issue that I'm seeing with Miles Bridges is his defense. I, I think you look at him, he's an athletic you know, freak. He can get up and down the court real quick. Uh, he was in the dunk contest. He can get up off the floor. Uh, but he doesn't stay with his man as much as you would want him to on ball. And especially off ball, he gets lost a ton. Uh, you know, even in today's game, uh, Kennard went backdoor on him. That, that seems to be a game-to-game basis thing where he gets completely lost off ball and, and his man goes backdoor. So just the little things for Miles Bridges, he's got to pick up on. And I, I think that he's got to bring it on the defensive end, night in and night out, uh, for him to be seeing consistent minutes. So that, I guess that's where I'm seeing the biggest struggle and why I mentioned Miles Bridges as struggling this season. I think it's the role that he's been put into where he's seeing the ball a whole lot more often, and that's one in which he probably isn't equipped to handle. And then also on the defensive end, he's getting exposed, especially off ball. Is uh, is that a factor of like him not you know trusting the scheme? Is it just like he's trying to to make plays by like reading the defenses, reading the ball handler's eyes, or it's just like he's just not not paying attention? It's more of the not paying attention. I mean, I, I think stuff, he gets caught ball watching a whole lot of times, and and uh, it just seems to be a common occurrence with him. Yeah, I know Tom Izzo doesn't like that. <laughs> so you you yeah. went to Michigan State? I did go to Michigan State. Yeah. So you were? I'm assuming. Um, did you want to draft uh, Miles Bridges as a Detroit Pistons fan, or not necessarily? So that was the year they traded the pick for Blake. So they didn't oh, have. Oh, okay. So then that wasn't even an option. Okay. That wasn't even an option. Yeah, but if you remember, like that was the it was the Shy and uh, Miles trade, and Pistons fans did have their eyes on uh, both of those guys prior to the Blake trade. Uh, you know, Pistons fans obviously, you know. Some of them just pure Michigan State uh, fandom, mm-hmm. and uh, for Shy, it's just like there's been a desire to get a, a point guard, a, a real point guard, uh, in Detroit for for a long time, and so the uh, the relative success of both of those guys, I think, has uh, frustrated some fans. But uh, but yeah, that was the year they didn't have a pick anyway, so gotcha. it would have been nice to draft him, absolutely. But, yeah, because you guys would have been in that that draft range right around us, because we're always yeah. drafted around that eleven or twelve spot. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, actually one more guy that is was drafted prior to where the Pistons drafted, Malik Monk. Uh, he's been up and down with, for this year and for the bulk of his career. Uh, he obviously hit the game winner uh, last game, but I don't even know if he made a shot uh, this time around. Uh, he has one for seven. Um, he was, But the, uh, the Hornets broadcast was mentioning that he had a little hand injury that could have affected him. Um, but he's definitely like in the rotation and in the team's plans more uh, this season. What is what has he been doing to to earn the trust of the coaching staff? I think the biggest thing with Malik Monk, other than the fact that there's obviously more open spots for him to get playing time, uh, offensively he's taking it to the rim 
at a much higher rate uh, than he did in his first two seasons with Charlotte. Uh, his biggest thing, like in his first, especially his rookie year, was shooting a whole lot of pull-up mid-range shots. And obviously, uh, if you follow the NBA, that's obviously analytically uh, not one of the best shots, and, and he wasn't making them either. So I think this season he's being a whole lot more aggressive, getting to the rim. He's taken 36% of his field goal attempts at the rim. Uh, that's up from a, up 11% uh, from last season. He also gained 20 pounds, supposedly, over the offseason. So I'm sure that helps with him. Uh, with Muscle watch. Love it, it. Yeah, withstanding some contact at the rim. Uh, but like Miles Bridges, uh, he has the same issues on the defensive side where he gets caught ball watching and loses his man um, off ball. But I, I will say he does compete on ball. I mean, I think that's the best word I can use. He can compete on ball. He's not necessarily the best defender. He is a little bit undersized as a two guard. And one thing that he's always had, even though he's probably more of a scorer or a two guard than a point guard, uh, he's a very good distributor out of the pick and roll. Um, him and Biz, him and Zeller worked has worked well this year. Uh, his balance passes, um, something that you wouldn't really notice or pick up on if you weren't actually a Hornets fan. Um, Malik Monk is actually a pretty good passer uh, because I think most people recognize him as a shooter out of Kentucky. No, definitely. And, you know, he's a lottery pick. He's also uh, a guy who's going to play in the backcourt. You know, with the emergence of Devontae Graham and with uh, Terry Rozier, you know, being in the team's long-term plans for the foreseeable future. Do you think Malik Monk is like part of this team's long-term plans? Man, that's a, that's a tough question because he is so inconsistent uh, with his play. And it's really hard to trust him sometimes. And I think that's why he does see some inconsistent minutes at times. Uh he typically plays more in the first half than he does in the second half. It's almost like Borrego puts him out there and says, hey, prove to me that you're going to get going on the offensive end and the defensive end. And if you are, we'll play you towards towards the end of the game. And I think that's just one of those things where he's just not being consistent enough. If I had to put my money on it, whether or not we're going to see this guy uh, three years down the road, four years down the road on this team, I would say no. Uh, but I'm not giving hope, you know, up a up hope on him uh, so far. I think my other two co-hosts are a little bit lower on him than I am. That's fair. So we've talked a lot about the young guys, but uh, this team has also have a lot of uh, very high salary vets that, uh, that they're on the roster. You got Marvin Williams at like, you know, you know, eight digits, you got MKG, you got Cody Zeller who was hurt this game. You got Nick Batum who uh, I don't think I've ever seen Nick Batum like take that many shots in a game this season <laughs> as he did tonight. That was fun. And Bismack Biombo who like had 19 points and uh, gave Andre like everything he could handle um, tonight. Um, and so the the plan is clearly to, to rebuild in Charlotte. Um, those guys are definitely like not part of the long-term plan. So what is the, what is the play there? Are they, do you think like Mitch is trying to flip those guys for assets? Have they talked about that? Are they trying to keep them around as good, good locker room vets? Because, you know, most of those guys are, you know, consummate professionals and guys you would like to have in an NBA locker room. Um, I think for the most part, they're probably going to have to keep all of these guys. The one guy that I think that would have some kind of trade value, uh, would be Marvin Williams, but, like you just mentioned, him out of all the players that are the veterans uh, probably is the best teammate, the best locker room presence out there on the court. Uh, but in the same breath, he also adds some kind of value in, in trade talks. So if you could get a late first round pick for him, early second round pick, 
I think it would be a no-brainer uh, to trade this guy midseason. Uh, he's getting up there in age, 33 years old. Uh, but he can still add something uh, to a, a team that's pushing in the playoffs. I, I don't have any teams off the top of my head right now as to who could use him. But, uh, you know, he can get to the rim uh, when there's an open open lane. Uh, but he's primarily really just a three-point shooter and, and a great team defender. Uh, the other players that you mentioned, Cody Zeller, I think he's going to be hard to trade because of his injury history. Like you said, he was, he was out tonight. Uh, but he would definitely be a player – uh, that I think that could contribute on a playoff team as well. Uh, Bismack Biombo really uh, tonight was uh, a rarity for him. One of these uh, games where he just comes out and, and proves uh, that he, he is worth his $18 million. But uh, yeah, Bismack Biombo really is not going to see much trade value uh, over the course of the season. And then and another name, I don't know if you mentioned him or not, but Michael Kidd Gilchrist, he's been sitting at the end of our bench and, and his contract runs up at the end of this year as well. So it's been odd to see him really not have a role with this team at all. Uh, I thought over the offseason that he would be someone that we could trade, but we're not even putting him out on the court to have him even raise his trade value up whatsoever. So if I had to bet, I think all of these players besides Marvin Williams will be on this team uh, until their contract runs out. Yeah, MKG was weird to me because they, they had uh, success in limited minutes last year playing him as like a small ball five, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with the small ball lineup they're deploying now with with Washington playing the five, it, you know, it seems like he could slide into a lineup similar to that or even as a replacement for Washington in that lineup. And you'd still be able to do similar things offensively. Um, it, it, it's weird to me that MKG hasn't been playing. Yeah, I think it's offensive, li- you know, offensive liabilities is the biggest issue, I think. Uh, but if you play him in the small ball five, um, like you mentioned in, in James Borrego's offense where they're preaching, getting to the rim and, and spreading the court. So if you surround him with shooters, uh, he's been relatively a pretty good uh, player driving to the basket, at least off the weak side if you get the ball moving. Uh, and it, obviously he's, he's a really good defender as well, you know, inside and outside, defending the post, defending the perimeter players. Uh, he may not be that shutdown defender that most people thought he would be, uh, but he's still a good defender. So it's been a very odd situation with him. Uh, he had a team option uh, heading into the season. I'm sorry, a player option heading into the season. And he mentioned at the end of last season that one of the biggest, I guess, factors going into this would be happiness. And uh, and, and I read that as, well, I'm not going to pick up my option, which I thought was kind of crazy to think about that he wouldn't pick up, a, I think it was a $13 million option. Uh, considering he wasn't going to get that out on the open market. But when he mentioned him not being you know, happy or maybe that being a consideration, I thought maybe he turned that down. So, Or maybe maybe the money was the happiness there. So I, I'm not really sure, but he is definitely not playing. I think he's played like all of one minute uh, this season. Yeah, that he is another guy that I think uh, teams might be interested in just as a, as a wing defender. Those right. guys are more valuable in the playoffs than they are in the, in the regular season, especially for... Uh, if you're a playoff team, yeah, but but if you're not showcasing him, I mean, I mean, do you think that his value? I think, there's, be, a, yeah. I think there's enough film on MKG, like over the course of his career, that teams know what they're getting with right. with him. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about was the uh, was the Andre Drummond rumors, right? The the Hornets have apparently uh, expressed some interest in in trading for Andre Drummond or or signing Andre Drummond in in free agency uh, after this offseason. Uh, what what do you think of that? What, what how would Andre fit uh, in in the rebuild that's occurring in Charlotte right now? 
I don't know if I'd be a big fan of that move. I mean, nothing against Andre Drummond. I think that he definitely hunts his rebounds at times. Uh, probably the best rebounder, if not top three rebounders in the NBA. Uh, but I don't know if it totally fits the timeline of this Hornets team. I mean, yes, he's only, what, 26, 27 years old here. Yeah. Um, so I, I, he's not old. He's not like an old veteran. But uh, I, I just wish they'd let this thing play out. Uh, not spend a ton of money uh, in this next upcoming offseason, or maybe even not the, the following offseason. I know a lot of the money is coming off the books this this summer for the Hornets, but you know Charlotte's never going to really be a big player in, in free agency unless they overpay for someone. And I think that shouldn't be the way that we approach this. Take the slow approach and not get in the same situation that they have been for these past three or four years. Nothing against Kimba, but uh, just the way that this team has been organized and always adding these veteran pieces and overpaying for players just to push for that seven or eight seed. I'm not saying that this would do that per se, like we would not be vaulted up into the seventh spot, uh, but it's just some of the same habits that we're seeing. So build through the draft, um, pick up assets through the draft, not necessarily through free agency. So, I don't know why his name has always been mentioned with Charlotte. I don't know where those rumors are coming from. Uh, so maybe there is some truth to it, but uh, I'm not sure I'd be the biggest fan of that acquisition. Yeah, to me, that always seems like a, a, a Jordan thing, like Jordan kind of likes. I can see where uh, Drummond is the type of player that Jordan would enjoy like watching and having on the team. And so that's always kind of been the, the genesis of a lot of those rumors for me. I like. I doubt it's Kupchak. If we're being perfectly no, honest, no. Right? I think you're exactly right. I think any player that's going to improve the team now. I think a lot of the transactions over the past several years, uh, those immediate players that they we that we think are going to improve the team now, somehow Michael Jordan has had his hand uh, at least or a say in those type of acquisitions. So this wouldn't surprise me at all if it was coming or if, if it was somehow linked to Michael Jordan uh, wanting him to be on this team. So, so from your outside perspective, you know, even though you're not necessarily a big fan of Andre Drummond for the Hornets, what would you be willing to give him in, in free agency? <laughs> oh gosh, I mean, I I don't even know where to begin there. So if I wasn't if I wasn't uh, a Hornets fan or just someone that was trying to uh, pick up Andre Drummond, how much money would I offer him? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yes. Oh gosh, what is he getting paid now? Do you know? He's getting paid like 27 mil. Player option next year is for 28. See that that's I mean I don't know that that to me seems fair like that that range 27 to 30 million uh for Andre Drummond I don't know how much I value him in today's NBA I think that he's someone that clearly racks up a ton of rebounds he's a little bit more mobile than I thought he actually was but you know in today's NBA where you know three point shooting is valued really highly um, you know, you're putting a player out there that is going to guarantee that you only have four uh, good shooters out there. So to me, um, regardless if I was a Hornets fan or a fan of another team, uh, I wouldn't be spending a whole lot of money on Andre Drummond. I know that the, the market probably uh, will dictate how much he gets. But uh, if I was a GM, I'd probably just stay away from him. I'm, I'm, I hate to say that as, as a on a, a Pistons podcast here, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a good player. But it's not someone that I would want to build a franchise around. No, no, no! Don't be I mean, be honest. Andre has been <laughs> Andre has been divisive among Pistons fandoms basically since like year three. Ever since like they they uh, they waved and stretched Josh Smith. Basically, it's been that long. Um, 
And so like, no, that that's good to know though. It's good to get the outside perspective on what kind of a player, uh, what kind of value Andre has like around the league from, you know, from an, am I overvaluing, valuing this guy perspective from a, like, what's this guy worth in a trade perspective from a, like, if he gets a max contract, which I don't think he will like flat out, I don't think he will get a max contract, a full 30% uh, max contract. Like if, if you, uh, like, if there's someone out there like willing to give that to him. And so uh, like, no, I, I appreciate the honest opinion. Yeah. It's not like I'd be competing with other teams to try to bring this guy back. Right. Um, so that's just, just my opinion. All right, Richie. Thank, thank you for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. I got one last question for you. Uh, when this podcast drops, it will be Thanksgiving. So, and you, you know, you already mentioned you got two Thanksgivings to go to. So when you're at those Thanksgivings, what's on, uh, what's on your plate? What's your ideal uh, Thanksgiving meal? So I actually mentioned this on, on, on our podcast that released uh, today, Wednesday, yeah, the big the big stuffing debate. I heard. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm a big stuffing fan. Big stuffing fan. Uh, so turkey stuffing. Uh, I would say some mashed potatoes. I'm not a big mashed potatoes guy, uh, but definitely mashed potatoes and probably uh, some mac and cheese as well. Uh, I will say that also turkey to me is overrated. I, I think that um, you know I'm more of a side dish guy more than anything else. So. I don't really load up my plate with turkey. It's just like a, a couple slices here and there. So I'm more of a side dish guy. What about you? Do you guys do the turkey and the ham? We don't. Uh, okay. We just do the turkey. We do ham for, for Christmas, turkey uh, strictly for Thanksgiving. The the mixture of the two, being able to like having turkey uh, be featured, but like not necessarily be the only meat that yeah. you can get is is, is really nice. Um, I'm, a, I'm a turkey, mashed potatoes and gravy mac and cheese guy yeah uh put some sweet potatoes on there put some uh put some collard greens on there um throw that throw the slice of ham in there and then the cornbread you need the cornbread to <laughs> absorb all the uh the collard green juice and, and get everything and get some little gravy in there uh, absorb all those flavors that's uh that's what's on my plate very good man you load it up you definitely load it up i uh i gotta pace myself because i got i got two dinners tomorrow so <laughs> Yes, <laughs> there you go. Well, you gotta, you can't get a, uh, and you gotta get dessert too. So you get dessert at the second place, or you, uh, you lighten up. Yeah, that's the... kind of what we do. We we kind of do. We go heavy on the dinner on the first one, and then when we come by for the second dinner, most of them are already eating or finishing up, and we just kind of go for dessert. So uh, my wife doesn't like dessert. She likes to make dessert, but she doesn't like to eat dessert. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a big apple pie guy. I really don't. I hate to say this. I don't like pumpkin pie or, or pecan pie or maybe i've never really tried those that they just don't look appetizing to me uh but that's just my personal preference yeah i think pumpkin pie is definitely uh overutilized during this uh this holiday season but pecan pie a good pecan pie you can't go wrong, okay. can't go wrong with that. Uh, maybe i'll have to try that because i don't think i've ever tried that just because i just never thought it would be something that was appetizing yeah maybe get like a little tiny slice to, <laughs> to, to wet your whistle yes that's what i'll do all right, Richie, uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find the podcast, where they can find your work. Yes, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Richie Randall, R-A-N-D-A-L-L. Uh, our podcast at BuzzBeatPod. Uh, we release weekly pretty much every Wednesday. And uh, yeah, so BlueWirePods.com. You can find us on Apple Podcast or Spotify. All right, that that's good stuff. Uh, as always, uh I'm Laz Jackson. You can find me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. 
This has been the Pistons versus Everybody podcast, and we will talk to y'all next week.